are some who call me Tim. The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. I think that uh, I've been fascinated by the Philadelphia experiment probably almost as long as I got involved in the whole UFO mystery. And, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia experiment really early on had gotten itself wrapped up with, uh, with with UFOs and and the whole really kind of fringe element uh, right. of that of that phenomena. And I know that Tim Beckley uh, has has published uh, uh, several books dealing with the Philadelphia Experiment. And and tonight uh, our guest is Christopher. Um, uh, and I'm going to mangle his name, uh, uh, Garitano. No, I didn't mess it up. How about that? Hurry for me. How about that? Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, our, our guest tonight, Christopher uh, uh, Garitano, has uh, uh, produced and directed uh, a documentary called The Montauk Chronicles, which according to, you know, like the, the, the whole uh, um, um, you know, myth and legend surrounding this subject. The the, the Montauk projects, uh, I think it was also called like uh, Project Rainbow and all that, right. was a, an offshoot of the Philadelphia experiments. Um, so uh, I, I I think that this is really you know a, a fascinating subject, and I'm really happy that we're going to be discussing it tonight. So in case you missed it, uh, this uh, I'm Tim Swarton. You are listening to the Outer Edge, and of course with me tonight is Mike Mott. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. It's a uh, it's a beautiful. It's still well. No, it's it's it has now. Um, gone over into Monday morning for me, early Monday morning, and and you're still an hour um, in my past. So you'll yes. catch, you'll catch up eventually. But time traveling rapidly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which which I mean, that's part of the, to, our subjects tonight. Why, well, sure. And to quote, you know, uh, um, fly like an eagle, right? That's Steve right. Miller Band. That's right. Oh, Time keeps on slipping into the future. A truer and more simplistic statement was never made. That's right. So, that's right. But yeah, this is going to be a good show because you know the uh, the strange thing about the Philadelphia experiment is that you know there are many who th- think they have debunked it, but no matter how hard they try, it just keeps coming back up, and the corroboration seems to be out there that something did happen. Now, as to what really happened, I mean, we really have no way of knowing um, unless we get supposed, here's a, here's a word for you, disclosure, which I never trust anyway. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the weird thing is that it, it, it 
lapse over into ufology, uh, men in black, all these other areas. And it just go, goes to show, it's a good example of how all these various anomalous topics are somehow interconnected. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you're right. The Philadelphia experiment is a perfect example. I think the only thing that um, that hasn't brought, been brought in with the Philadelphia experiment is the hollow earth. But I'm sure if I do my research, I could probably find uh, some kind of connection in there somewhere. Yeah. Loch Ness Monster, all of it. <laughs> Somebody somewhere will have tried to make the connection anyway. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know if, well, actually, you know, now that I think about it, it's it's not really the hollow earth, but it involves you know like underground bases and tunnels, and it does. and supposedly it does. you know like the whole uh, um, uh, Montauk uh, uh, situation. I mean, the Camp Hero had uh, uh, underground facilities. Supposedly, right. there was like uh, 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 maglevs. Uh, transportation sure. systems, you know, that uh, that reached it. So, see, I mean, just uh, off the top of my head, I've already found a connection. Well, one thing that concerns me about all these types of topics, you know, you, you know as well as I do, that you have people who present valid research and evidence, and then here, after that, here come all the the, the people that are totally deranged or or whatever, and they pollute the topic with wild. Uh, unsubstantiated claims. You know, it happens in ufology all the time. It happens in encrypted research all the time. You know, um, and and I'm sure that this is no different. I'm sure that uh, um, there are plenty of people out there who have made all sorts of claims about the Montauk Project that really have nothing to do with it. Um, so, you know, it, it's good to talk to somebody who actually has done the research. You know, when you look at ufology, for instance, um, you know, you, you have the nuts and bolts Crowd, and you had the the metaphysical crowd, and all that, and that's all well and good. And you can look at evidence and accounts, and even you know um, um, scientific uh, evidence that's been gathered to back up various points of view. But then you get the people who come and say that they've been abducted, and then they have some outlandish tale to tell, which isn't really in line with abduction literature at all. It's like they're you know a confabulation. As we're getting mm-hmm. at. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And, and and the whole thing, someone that's, that's so obviously either delusional or making up a story, and then the critics of the whole topic will take that person and use that person's ramblings mm-hmm. to discredit all of it. Sure. Yeah, and that that's what happens over and over again. And, and I, you know, I've seen that kind of happen a little bit in the past with the whole Montauk thing, but uh, you know, obviously something was going on there. Um, and, and again, how much of that discrediting? And those people who come forward with the crazy outlandish stuff that is just like, not just deranged, but stupid. How many of those people are actually led to do that in some way in order to cover up whatever's really going on? Well, you know, I, I think actually that that is one of the points that is being made in this documentary is, um, uh, I know the, the, uh, Christopher speculates whether or not the stories that are being told by the, you know, like the, the, the chief players in this, you know, like Al Bielik and uh, um, uh, Peter Moon, uh, whether or not they are telling these stories as they believe it, but not it, that, but it didn't actually happen that way, but that they have somehow, since, you know, um, uh, uh, the Montauk Project 
involved uh, mind control, and we know that MK Ultra was a reality. Whether or not these people have been fed basically false information to right. to you know to, to give that out, uh, thinking that it's the truth, uh, but actually it's it's like it's it's disinformation. It's it's covering up what what may have really really sure. happened. You know, sure. Uh, you you go and you sprinkle in you know like wild tales of uh, uh, time travel and uh, you well know, you know that happened with the Dulce stuff. Sure, you sure, know. yeah, exactly. Um, you know uh, what, what was the guy's name? Was it uh, Costello was that his name? Who was uh, th- there? Have been a number of people who have been misled intentionally. Oh, oh, oh fit- uh, you're talking about Paul Benowitz. Paul Benowitz, that's Ben-Witz, it. Yeah, Paul, Paul Benowitz. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. but uh, yeah, Paul Benowitz, Benowitz was led to believe all kinds. Of, he was actively engaged in being deceived. Right. right. Like there was a program in place to convince Benowitz that that all these things were going on, and. It basically helped to discredit the real research that he was trying to do, oh. and others were trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, before we actually, before we uh, uh, go and uh, bring our our guest in, I wanted to talk a little bit, Mike, about uh, some interesting uh, blog posts that you have made recently that has uh, <laughs> that has uh, inflamed the passions of some of uh, some of your readers. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a polite way to put it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> now you know one other aspect of what I do is you know I write it and and do uh, research on uh, pulp fiction, pulp fantasy fiction, sword and sorcery fiction, things like that, and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I wrote something called the Trial of the King, which the reason I wrote the piece was because I have a friend who is a researcher into uh, uh, the the life and writings of Robert E. Howard and many other. Uh, sword and sorcery and, and fantasy and, and adventure fiction writers and this guy has been doing this for you know 30 years and he mm-hmm. knows his topic and he is a man of integrity and he apparently uh, was friends with someone who is on the outs with the, the insiders who are now in trying, trying to take over sword and sorcery and fantasy and sci-fi and it's sort of a uh, for lack of a better word it, it, it's the politically correct crowd hmm and they really want to control what people write and how you write it and what you say. And well, now, okay, wait, wait, wait. how can you be politically correct when it comes to sword and sorcery? Yeah, or science fiction in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's the world. That's that's the way it's. That's the way it is now. You know, a big, it, well, there's been a big stink over in the sword and sorcery realm, not sword and sorcery, fantasy and science fiction realm, where. You know, some people got tired of seeing the same old people getting the same Hugo nominations every year based on who their friends were and what their po- their politics were mm-hmm. because that's what's been going on for a long time. Right. And so they sort of did a uh, they mounted an offensive a a uh, a, a rebellion, if you will. Mm-hmm. And people who there were so many people that were sick of it that they actually had their own candidates all put up and they got more votes mm-hmm. and it infuriated the PC. Uh, would be totalitarian crowd, and you know I stay out of that stuff because I'm not involved in it any way. Years ago, I, I went to conventions and stuff, but even then, I could see the writing on the wall of the thought police, the the cliques, the you know kiss somebody's ass and get what you get, you know get what you need, get your advancement. And I, I don't I don't play those games, okay? So I just already said to hell with it. But you know, um, the, anyway, the friend of mine that I'm talking about, he's not a fiction writer but he's a, a scholar mm-hmm. and he's a good guy 
and he really knows his topic. And he had written something and some commentary, and he had voiced his friendship for someone who was on the other side of who was he was involved in that that upheaval in the science fiction community. Right. And he's, he's friends with a guy, and in fact, the, the guy publishes uh, some of his pieces on his blog periodically. Well, there's a lady who apparently has been in uh, Robert E. Howard fandom, they call it, uh, the Robert E. Howard scholarly bunch, and, and I used to be involved in that to some extent, you know, 20 years ago. And, but you just got, you know, you spent a lot of time on that stuff, you know, even when you got your own stuff that you could be doing. Oh, sure. But, but anyway, he, this person has only been involved like maybe seven years or something. Morgan's been doing it for 30. She took offense at something he had written and him expressing friendship for someone who was his friend, hmm. whose politics she does not like. Oh, she, went, she went, as they say in the South and in the military, she went hermitile, okay? She lost She lost her stuff, okay? <laughs> and, and got in several different uh, areas and called for him to be uh, removed, ostracized, kicked out of organizations that he basically helped start, yeah. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I, you know, I've been stewing on all this for a while, and then that happened, and I thought, yeah, you know what, these, these people are just, you know, they, they act like they know what this stuff is about, and they really don't have a clue. They really don't. Right. They don't know the, the, the way the, the writer looked at the world. They don't know how his main, most famous character would have responded to all of these things. Sure. That they now, that they now champion. So, yeah, I wrote a little piece. Um, let's just say it's about a, a fictional king mm-hmm. who was a barbarian before he was a king. Um, I think we all know who I'm talking about. And uh, two, it's called the trial. Two movies What's have that? been two movies have been made. Uh, three, if you count the remake. Ah, oh, well, you know, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's just, let's just put it this way: It's Robert E. Howard's most famous character, right? Okay, and, and so I wrote up something about uh, his perspective on these types of matters. It's called The Trial of the King, and it's on my blog at modamorphic.com slash blog. And then another piece that I wrote, I guess about, oh gosh, three months ago, four months ago, um, it appeared in a, in a journal called the uh, uh, called REH, Robert E. Howard, uh, Two-Gun Raconteur, which is a sort of like the top, uh, it is, it's like the, the, the premier scholarly journal devoted to the writings of Robert E. Howard. And I wrote a, uh, a, an examination of his, his, you know, somehow he was in on, he had a good feeling for things that he really shouldn't have known about. Now, I think he got this by means of intuition, mm-hmm. you know, being intelligent, being well-read. But uh, he definitely was in on... Uh, Ahead of time on some some things that we just now we're, we're discovering. Hmm. So I wrote an article called "The Hyborian Sage," <laughs> you know, real real world parallels between Howard's essay and modern discoveries, and it's a look at modern discoveries that have come to light, which line up well with fictional things that Howard wrote about. So it was in the journal, you know, all these months now, several months, and the uh, the guy that puts the journal out wanted to put it on his blog on his blog, which is uh, reh. TwoGunRaconteur.com in a section called the trunk. So he put it in the he put it on there, and and he and I both put some links out. And of course, the literalist, the the rabid, I am a skeptic. I am so smart. This bunch, they all came pouring out of the woodwork with their complaints and their gripes and their little silly, stupid things that they say. And they, you know, and they act like, you know, uh, I'm saying that Howard 
said the Hyperborean Age was real. No, what I said was real-world parallels mm-hmm. between Howard's essay and modern discoveries, which is to say that Howard's work is fiction. But they, they you know, I often find that with these types of people, um, uh, so far, you know, self-styled, self-styled skeptics, they usually lack a basic reasoning ability. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, oh, yeah. They can't. Yeah, they can't reason their way out of a paper bag. They can't even define what the bag is, apparently. So, you, you know, when you say something like real-world parallels, then that, that clearly implies parallels to something that's not real-world, or which is fiction. But I still stand by everything in the article. You know, everything I put in there is factual. Right. And you can find it. You can do the research and find it. You know, one guy that got all bent about it was a guy who, like, recently graduated, I guess, from college with a degree in archaeology, but now he's teaching school. Well, you know, don't come to me and say, I'm an archaeologist and you're teaching uh, middle schoolers, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've taught middle school. I've taught high school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm still doing other stuff, too, and I'm doing it, you know, <laughs> as opposed to just talking out my posterior <laughs> so, so you know i i just find it amazing when these people it's kind of like the, the internet it, it's sort of the dumping ground for for um a certain a certain aspect of society the internet is sort of the dumping ground for intellectual posers okay mm. posers yeah. you know everybody that thinks they're an intellectual gets on the internet and and, and it's like you said before we uh came on Anything you put on the internet, hmm. anything, mm-hmm. there's somebody out there that wants to argue with you. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 You could say, cats have tails. And somebody's going <laughs> to say, well, not exactly true. It's actually an extension of the spine. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have some idiot out there that's going to argue with you no matter what you say. Okay. <laughs> or Well, you can't really say that because I saw a cat once that didn't have a tail. What about the bobcat? Bobcats have tiny little nubs. You can't properly call that a tail. Yeah, you've always got these these idiots out there. That's what they are, the idiots. You know, they they. But then again, you know, our colleges are turning out idiots by the millions. So you know, they're out there. They're out there. They we have to work for them sometimes, but they're out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean. Personally, I think that a lot of people who, you know, uh, who are just constantly trolling the internet to find things to to write and gripe and and you know nitpick about are are probably equivalent to the people who used to write letters to the editor of your local newspaper. I mean, you know, some of them, you know, had some insightful things to say, but the majority of them were flaming nuts. <laughs> Yeah, or, or just dumb, just dumb. Just you know, dumb. it's right. it's it's kind of like you know, you know me. I I give it to both sides politically. I I've got problems with both so-called parties. I, you know, I think it's all a big shell game, and they're two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I what gets me is, for instance, okay, this idiot guy that's running for speaker of the house, and yes, he is an idiot. This uh, what's his name, McDonald? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Who came out and said something really dumb about Clinton? And the Benghazi stuff. Well, now, of course, she's going to jump on that and say, See, I told you it was political. Well, no, it's not political. But all her idiot followers and the guys that support that guy, who's a Republican, they're all saying, That's right. You know, well, maybe it was. Well, it's not, you know. But it shows you how people don't have any brains. Because, you know, the House Select Committee on Benghazi 
was created way before Hillary Clinton ever even announced her presidential bid. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and before anybody even knew that she had a personal email account and private server. Okay. That, the fact that she had a server privately and an email account came out in the Benghazi hearings because the White House would not turn over certain emails, which the committee wanted to see. So if there were crimes committed, they preceded the investigation. So, and that investigation then opened up the server scandal. So, you know, you have so many people out there, though, that are just plain freaking stupid. You know, they're so motivated by politics and being obedient and and thinking obediently and not questioning the status quo. And I'm talking about people on both the left and the right. Okay. Oh, yeah. That they just... It's as if they they only had like the most infantile grasp of what's going on, and even worse than that is is the is the the attention span deficit that that they seem to have. You know, how do you not know? Follow the line. You know, do you have a memory? Does your brain function like brains are supposed to function? You know, can you not remember back to what started everything? Got the ball rolling, but no, they can't because they they live in the. They live in the moment of the soundbite. Oh, yeah, very good. Oh, I like that. I like that. Live the moment of the soundbite. That's a good. They one. do yeah. from day to day. That, that's what they do. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty pathetic. It's kind of sad. Okay, well, uh, before we go to our break here, Mike, t- uh, tell our audience where they can uh, find your uh, your articles, so they can, they can uh, read for themselves. Sure, man. If they go to uh, modamorphic dot com, m o t t i m o r p h i c dot com slash blog. All my latest, greatest stuff is there, including links to other things. So if they go to modamorphic.com slash blog, they can find all kinds of stuff. All right, fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take our break here. And when we come back, we will be talking uh, with our guest, Christopher Garitano, and his documentary, The Montauk Chronicles. So you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Stay tuned. We will be right back. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers. You have violated my foreign rights. This Samanambachin country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of foreign ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. 
Find out what they don't want you to know. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. the outer edge on the PSN radio network. This is Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz, as usual. And uh, we are joined now by Chris Garitano. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Middle of the night here. Um, Monday morning already. Hard to believe. But uh, we all are time traveling, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> and speaking of time travel, uh, it's kind of your, that's kind of one of the, uh, air, one of the areas of your research, isn't that right? One of many. It is. I, yeah, yeah. Well, there are you know, a lot of people that say uh, that there were time travel experiments that were conducted uh, underground beneath the Camp Hero Air Force Base between 1971 and 1983, and that's just one of many of the things they say happened down there. It seems that, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, any of the three gentlemen that were really primarily out there telling the story, uh They'll tell you everything happened down there. Any any kind of paranormal or uh, you know uh, uh, supernatural happening occurred underneath Camp Europe. Right. Well, kind of give people a, a, an idea of of w- where you're talking about. Of course, what it, what is generally known as, and and some of the things that that are alleged to have taken place there. Sure. So there was this legend that was going around, uh, really a story being told by uh, literally three men uh, in the early 90s, and they claimed that they were part of secret experiments that were black ops experiments that were conducted by rogue versions of the government, U.S. government, underneath the allegedly at that time defunct Camp Hero Air Force Base 
and Montauk, New York. There was still activity from the Air Force um, uh, above ground. That's all the way at the the furthest eastern tip of Long Island, right at the Atlantic Ocean at the end. You know, you can't go any further. So, um, on the east coast of the United States. And it's an isolated town. In the summertime, though, it's a really happening kind of resort beach town where people go to, you know, to spend their summers. Uh, but five miles away from town, there's this Air Force base in the middle of the woods. And, um, you know, currently, obviously, it's just a state park and some of the remnants of the, the Sage Radar Tower are still there and other structures. But back at that time, the Air Force was still kind of active in the area. But it's said that there's a base underneath the ground that uh, these gentlemen say they didn't drive to Montauk to achieve, to you know, to get inside. They actually took an underground train from another pretty famous laboratory, uh, scientific laboratory, Brookhaven Labs, which is a little further west of Camp Hero. And they said that they worked there for a number of years. Now, what happened underneath the ground, uh, they claim everything from uh, runaway children that were kidnapped off the streets of New York City were taken to be used in a very brutal mind control experiment. Plus, there was reverse engineering of um, extraterrestrial technology down there. Uh, there were time travel experiments, and there were a variety of creatures and extraterrestrial uh, uh, components to this entire experiment. They were participants, according to these men. Mm-hmm. And this all happened in a 13-year period. Um, you know, and I got into this not believing that this was true, but finding it quite fascinating that these three men were telling this story for a number of years, and they really didn't change the story. They just kept telling it. They, it started at kind of private gatherings in New York City and then evolved into a series of books that were published. And now it's, uh, you know, there's a whole program that's uh, was born from this story that uh, Stuart Swerdlow, one of the men who claimed that he was uh, a Montauk boy, so to speak, in the program, he claims that now he's teaching this uh, same technique that he learned there and was trained and is now giving this to people through a program that he uh, people come from all over the world to learn from him so it's it's such a fascinating uh tale and how it's evolved and um you know another thing that i really need to note is that there's no hard evidence but at this point in time in 2015 there are a lot of people that claim they were part of it hmm so now, how did you get involved in the first place uh, uh, producing a, a documentary on this subject? Well, I finished a, a movie um, called Horror Business, and one of the subjects of that movie was about uh, four independent horror filmmakers trying to break into the business. One of those films that were being made was a very low-budget film in Las Vegas called Sins of Government, You know, like a real low-budget picture. And um, one of the guys involved in it had an obsession with conspiracy, mainly. And he knew my interest was in the paranormal, and I had interest to go forward on another docudrama with a paranormal or supernatural subject matter. And he suggested, well, since you know Montauk and you're from New York, you should uh, give this a try. And I knew of the story, but I just wasn't interested at the time. I felt that the way it was presented in that first book that I read, uh, 
was very thinly laid and not very believable. So we were we were just talking about that. I mean, uh, on the lead-in, you know how so many of these things, including the Montauk stuff, so many people try to get their their hooks into it and just come up with the most outrageous stuff that they tend to that that it discredits whatever real research is going on and the whole topic in general. Sure, and when you say real research, real research is uh, something that I did. Now I didn't want to sit and read the books and then reiterate it in my film. What I did was I read the first book. I said, enough is enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to conduct some real research. I'm going to go out face-to-face with the men who have been telling this story, and I'm going to interview them. Then I'm going to go out and interview locals in the town, and then I'm going to go to the base itself and explore the base and see what I can find. And then, you know, kind of compare it to the history that I read here and there. But it's not exactly history unless it's been proven through artifacts, through documents. So that's not history. Those are stories until it's proven. So I wanted to start fresh. And that that's the thing that really made me want to go forward with it. it right. You know, I, I would have loved... I, my next picture is going to be something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. And... Um, you know, there's a lot of artifacts to follow it, and it's it's surrounding, uh, uh, you know, Sasquatch, uh, the the American Bigfoot. But I want to do it in, in a way that it's never been done before, and that's something I've been wanting to do for years. But I shifted gears and said, okay, this Montauk thing is interesting, and what I found along the way uh, was a a great deal of reason to believe that there was an experiment there, but not exactly how it's been put out in the world. I th- And I focused mainly on the mind control and the kidnapping of the boys, because these things did occur in the past, and we do have uh, artifacts and witnesses and, you know, a president, an ex-president that actually apologized or kind of sort of apologized for this to the American public in 1995. So I was leaning more towards, yes, there was something that happened there, but it, it you know, I, I, not that I don't believe the possibility of the extraterrestrial stories or the time travel. It's just if we sat and focused on that, and we know when it's going to be real hard to, to prove that at the moment, I think we should focus on the things that are believable and provable where, right. you know, inadvertently we'll get to the other stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting because you know one of my problems with time travel, the whole concept, and this is something I've talked about on, I think, this program, definitely on the other program that Tim and I used to do, is, you know, traveling in, t- in time, it, it, it's a tricky situation because let's say you can travel in time forward or back. Well, the Earth is constantly moving. It goes around the sun and it turns. The sun is constantly moving taking the Earth and the other planets with it, and it's moving around the galactic center. So, you know, if you could travel in time, I mean, the logistics of you showing up on this planet in the exact spot you think you're going to be, I mean, it it just doesn't jive. I mean, you would end up showing up out in the middle of interstellar space somewhere. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? No, I do, I do. And Well, the way they say it happens is there's biorhythmic register to every point in every living thing in every place in existence and so what they're saying is okay if you can match the biorhythmic uh, register of the person that's traveling to the biorhythmic register of let's say you know Gettysburg and during the Civil War uh, you know you're gonna end up in the right place 
But I don't buy it because a lot of the guys that say they're time travelers are always talking about these very blatant uh, and very stark moments from history that we can read about word right. for word in a book. And right. If you you have your own experience, there's a whole different jazz to it. It's, it's different than it is than we've read in the books. So a right. lot of these guys that are out there claiming they're time travelers, they're, they're mixing a little bit of their own story in with anything that we can read in a book. And life is exactly. a little bit different than a history book. <laughs> exactly. And, and if you think about this, if he were to say, look at all the various people that say they were at uh, the Gettysburg Address or the Crucifixion of Christ, I mean, you probably... They, would you not have had like reports of all these weird people being there? You know, in the historical account. You know? Sure, <laughs> the crowd was huge. You know? Yeah, I think there would be a very different reaction. I don't think you know uh, early presidents would be like, "Oh, these are just wonderful angels coming from heaven." I think they'd be concerned, and they were a lot smarter than that. You know, I mean, but we were going, you know, uh, uh, three hundred years before uh, Christ, there were very intelligent men like Aristotle and people like that, who at that time probably would have said, "This is some odd technology going on here." You know, like I don't think it was always like, "Oh, these are angels." You know, like maybe some people. I think some people today would react that way, but oh yeah, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think we need to think a little deeper than that, and that may be. And again, I'm not. Uh, you know, there there's some brilliant minds that believe uh, in parallel that that can actually are proving parallel universes, sure, you know, uh, sure. and, and quantum physics. But I think that, um, and I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying that maybe a lot of this these real broad strokes, like people visiting the crucifixion and people visiting, you know, different very very broad moments in history. Um, I think maybe they were put there to kind of distract people from uh, some real horrible things that may have went on in the process. Right, right. Well, think about this, too. I mean, if you're talking about multidimensional travel, then uh, I, I'm assuming you've probably stayed up a lot on physics. You know that that, that, that gravity uh, bends space. So, for instance, around the Earth, you kind of have what would be called like a gravity bubble. Okay. Well, if there are multiple dimensions then that same gravity bubble would exist in all the different dimensions. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Because it's, because it's a different, just a different layer. It's like layers on an onion. You know, think of the dimensions like that. So, you know, that's not a far-fetched thing. To, to Not really. To the idea of going between dimensions or even the idea of something in the quantum realm uh, becoming instead of microcosmic, becoming macrocosmic. You know, things like that are not that hard to comprehend. But the idea of just jumping around whenever you want to in time, and and always ending up at the right spot—that's just to me. That's almost, you know, the only way that could happen would be if you were somebody who was already outside of the space-time continuum, and you could view the whole thing as a whole. You know, kind of like God does. Basically, it, it seems whole, like a Saturday morning science fiction serial. Is what it seems. Like. Yeah, it you know, does like because it's so thinly laid and so easy to do. And I, I would love to see a display of the the technology, or you know, especially the men that are living that it said that they used it and even built it in Preston Nichols' case. I would love to see some of that work. And he did display some things for me, but none of it uh, showed any evidence of it working. Right. 
Now, who who well, were the who were the main uh, uh, characters that you interviewed uh, uh, for your documentary? That uh, the the men who has been uh, putting these stories out. Okay, the the gentlemen that were telling this story primarily were actually four men. One of which is very elusive. I did speak with him on the phone, but he does not do interviews these days. The last interview he did was in the early nineties, as far as I could see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other gentlemen who are in the film that I personally interviewed was Alfred Bielek, who has passed away in 2011. I interviewed him in 06. There was Preston Nichols, who I interviewed twice, once in 06, once again in 2013 for the picture that's out there right now. And um, Mr. Stuart Swerlow, who I also interviewed twice, one in 06 and another one in 2013 for the picture that's out right now. And um, these are the men that have been telling this story. It was really four men. Now... There are uh, a num- numerous people that say they were on offshoot programs related to the Montauk Project. There are men and women that claim they were down there um, in numbers at the moment. So, I, you know, it's very different. And the other gentleman in my picture is a man who requested to be called James Bruce to conceal his identity because he has a family, he has a job and a business out here. He's in the military and he just feels people. He's been fired from jobs before because of him talking about this stuff and he feels like uh, hmm. he just shouldn't reveal himself. Hmm. Um, so those are the men that I interviewed for the picture. And he came in late. He wrote to me on Facebook, actually, after hearing me on a radio show. And he wanted to tell me his story. And I had many people write to me along the way because you know it's it was out there and the trailers were out there and being talked about and people knew i was making this thing and uh i for some reason he was the only one i really wanted to talk to at the time because it was the other men have been telling this story for years i'm not saying it's rehearsed but they know the story to tell uh but in james bruce's case He's, and, and again, not insulting his intelligence or anything like that, but it really seemed like a genuine recollection of a, a guy who witnessed something that may have been beyond his imagination, and he's just recalling bits and pieces of it, whereas the other stories were very well, uh, even though you know they're, they're a little far-fetched, they were very well shaped and kind of rehearsed in my opinion you know even though like but but people's stories are rehearsed they, let's say uh someone's out there telling a story about their experiences in vietnam you know uh these guys tell these stories so many times it sounds like it's rehearsed so you know uh i'm not trying to put any offense on the gentleman in the picture it's just there was a drastic difference between those guys and james bruce mm-hmm. hmm. Well, now, uh, Preston Nichols, I think, uh, that's uh, he's one of the major players uh, in all this. And uh, he, he, was, uh, uh, he made himself uh, fairly accessible uh, to you uh, for your uh, filming, didn't he? He did. Preston did make himself. Everybody did. And, uh, and my promise to them in the beginning uh, was to be non-intrusive. You know, I wasn't going to bring a whole crew of people there that were acting important like they do in TV and uh, <laughs> uh, telling you how to sit and how to speak and, and, you know, making you feel very uncomfortable. My promise to them was it's just going to be me or me and a buddy of mine helping me out. And um, we're going to have you relax and I'm going to take you very seriously and I promise not to disrespect you in post-production re-edit it to make you look like a jerk I'm going to I'm going to say please be aware that this camera is recording you 
So if you don't want to come across a certain way, just be conscious of that. I said all of these things before the interview, and I, I wanted to get the best out of them, so I just let them talk. And I asked, I said, I'm going to ask you some hard questions because you're talking about, you, at one point, you, you know, you guys tell me there's uh, thousands of kids that were murdered. And on the other point, you're enjoying the technology, and I want to know, well, well, wait a second, you know, at what point did you try to just say, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this? Because some people, if they were involved in a program where, you know, murder was happening over and over, and this is a legal murder, you know, like, uh, they would probably take themselves out to get out of it and, uh, you know, literally, you know, commit suicide. So in this case, Preston has a weird dynamic because he said that he, he would go back and do it again. Hmm under the same circumstances, and he says that in the picture. Uh, and he does get very uncomfortable when we talk about the boys, and at one point yelled at me because uh, he was, you know, what would you do if you had guns pointed at you yeah. and your life was threatened? Well, I don't well, yes, know what I would do. I guess I'd wait and see. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say what I'd do. I'm not going to. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the thing is that Everybody has an excuse, you know. It's the old thing, what the, the Nazi guards, you know. I was just following orders, you know. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, you could have, uh, you could have ended it right there. I mean, I, I understand wartime is wartime, but this is that anyone that was involved in this was very conscious that boys were being kidnapped from the streets of New York City illegally, of course, and uh, murdered and beaten to death and whatever else they say happened. So, you're a participant. You know, you could protest with your life. You could do a lot of things. I mean, they, you know, Preston wasn't military, uh, and and in some cases he was saying that he he was taken against his will. But like I said, there's a contradiction there because, like, there's a few story points that are weird, and I always thought there's a possibility. Okay, if this thing did happen, right, we're considering that it did happen, and Preston was a part of it, and I have some root strong reasons to believe that he was because of other things I've found recently. Um, you know, it's... They say that... It was Preston Nichols, Alfred Bielek claim that the way they ended the project was that they had a secret meeting at the Memory Motel in town, which is five miles away from the base. Mm-hmm. They said they, they snuck out of the base, had this meeting at the Memory Motel, then went back to the base and... and, and created the scenario that ultimately ended the project, crashed it. My question is, if at one point they're telling me that they came from Brookhaven Labs on a train underground, so in other words, they wouldn't be topside. This is a, this is a hidden base under the ground. You know, this is, even the guys working topside are not supposed to know about this. And if it's such a top-secret thing where we're dealing with aliens and we're dealing with you know mass murder and we're dealing with all of this stuff, how on earth are you allowed to skip out, go have a secret meeting at the hotel, and then come back to work at this secret base where you know aliens are and time travel experiments are? I think you would be under massive surveillance uh, if that was the case. You know? oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm only assuming, but I, you know, maybe they they were just really lax in security. Well, now, do you do you find that uh, after you interviewed these guys that? Um that they told the same stories, or were there interesting uh, deviations, or were they uh, uh, so close together on the facts that it seemed like that they were working from a script? I wouldn't say, you know, maybe, okay, what happened, what I, 
and again, I'm, I'm telling you honest from the heart. Sure. And this is after years of, of listening to these gentlemen and being very fair and being very open to what they're saying. I'm not, you know, a hard, I'm not James Randi. I'm not a hardcore skeptic. Even though I like James Randi, I wouldn't go and just, you know, try and pull it apart. That's not my goal. My goal is to listen, observe, and then show you the audience. But what I've observed over time is, and it's so much more organic than just a black and white explanation, but let's say these guys at least believe they're telling the truth. They have these memories in their head. So they come across this publisher in the early 90s who says, all right, I'm going to put some books out, and we're going to embellish a little bit on this story here. And I think maybe that's what happened. I think these guys had a story. They were telling this story in these gatherings, and then this guy came across and said, I'm going to... I'm going to write some stuff here to make it, you know, palatable for the audience. And I think some things were embellished, and I think think some things were written to make it sellable. So do you you think that that's where a lot of the the stuff about UFOs and aliens, and that's how it got in the mix? Do you think that's where it came from? No, I think that stuff was there in the stories they were telling, but I think like the crescendo at the end where they met in the memory motel, don't you think how convenient that they met in the memory motel for the <laughs> yeah. time travel experiments and, and, and the, the mind wiping and the mind control project, so they're in the memory motel, which does exist in Montauk, by the way, that's the name of the right. motel, wonderful right. little place, and uh, <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, and so they, they met they met they met in the memory motel. These three guys come up with this plan. It sounds like a sci-fi film. We're going to end this project and save the world. And you know how they told they saved the world? The psychic who was in the chair, Duncan Cameron, who was in this uh, device called the Montauk chair, which had a variety of uses, um, but one of which, if you're thinking of something, it would manifest into physical reality. So they get Duncan into the chair. This is the plan. And they're going to... And I, this is what Preston said. It's the monster from the id. He's referring to uh, Forbidden Planet, the old sci-fi right, film. Right, right. So exactly. Duncan would think of the monster from the id. It would come into reality and save the day. This is a story, friends. This is a sci-fi story. It's sure the way it's, it I'm a storyteller. Okay. I'm a filmmaker. This is how this right. is how we build stories. It has right. a well, here's, here's climax. The, that, that doesn't even make sense because the monster from the id in... in and Forbidden Planet was an unreasoning, destructive force. Yes. So how are you going to create an unreasoning, destructive force to save the day? Something that will wipe out everything in its path. You know, right, and they said, well, the monster stupid. didn't kill... Is they called him Junior, and they said he didn't kill anybody. He just tore up the base and scared, I quote, uh, Preston, the bejesus out of everybody. And then <laughs> so, the they're saying, so, they're, so they're saying that they actually succeeded in creating this id monster. Yes. So we're basically talking about uh, the manifestation of Yog Sothoth from the Dumbwish Horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's, well, that's ridiculous. It, it is, and that's what I'm. Okay. Now take this into consideration. So these guys were hired for their abilities. Preston really does know a lot about electronics. He's he, he he's well versed in certain things. Maybe they needed him for something. And what better way to cover up mass murder than to implant these silly ideas in his head uh, somehow? And um, that's what he sees in his memories. He sees monsters, he sees aliens, he sees this silly sci-fi story. So just in case he goes out to tell this tale, 
I mean, yeah, you know, there are people here that'll believe anything. There's people that are telling that people that are the the Earth is flat right now, and people believe right. it. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, think about this. I mean, like you said, they they could use him to discredit anything that he says is factual, like uh, abducting children and and doing mind control experiments and then killing them. Or what is it? I'm assuming that's what they were doing. Okay. Yes. That will be discounted because this guy also says that there are id monsters stomping around and aliens and all this other stuff. So, yeah, a lot of his stories are just like that. Like he said, the the monster that approached him later was the Gorn from Star Trek. These are all sci-fi references, and then right. it came. He looked the the reptilian commander, as he called him, came right up to him. He looked just like the Gorn from Star Trek, and he grabbed um, a, a glass of Drano that he was using as soldering flux. And he drank it and looked at him and said, good. You know, this is like right out of a... <laughs> yeah, that's like a cartoon, man. Right, it's a cartoon. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. So basically, what you have uncovered here is probably a major disinformation campaign using uh, conspiracy concepts, ufology, and all that sort of stuff to cover up a real conspiracy that was going on. Now... What do you think was the real conspiracy? Well, if we take a look at programs like MK Ultra and the Tuskegee, you know, medical farce experiments, and the, the, those right. are almost well, at least MK Ultra is literally identical to the mind control aspect of of the Montauk project, so to speak. And um, the Tuskegee experiments have that covert nature. What they did is they took these gentlemen and they said. Uh, we're going to give you free medical care, okay? And they're injecting them. You know, so this is all under false pretenses. They're injecting them with syphilis and secretly monitoring these guys for a number of years to see what it right. does. To them. That for, is sick for, for, for decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. It's it's like okay. So if they're capable of that, and they're well, they capable this, of, they had oh, a nurse. They had a nurse that was allegedly their nurse that they would go see, and she was actually the monitor who was watching every watching the progression of, of the disease. Wow! And the whole time she was pretending to be a nurse, and I think she was a black lady. Um, well, see, that's that's what I'm saying. It's the covert nature, and then right. Bill Clinton apologized. They were using that as like, well, you know, it was at a time where. Our country didn't see, uh, you know, enough value in its citizens, no, and there were some no weird ropes. There's no excuse, though. We all know. No, that. no, no, not at all. And but yeah. see, but when if you turn over to MK Ultra, it was during that same exact admission because it was kind of a half-assed admission on Clinton's part. Uh, there was a group of people who came before Congress and insisted that they weren't just part of radiation experiments, there were mind control experiments. That Christina Kohler uh, is out there and you can see her videos and you could see the congressional hearing in 95. So my thing is if they were capable of that and it's almost identical to the things that came out later because the early Montauk book avoided the brutality avoided all that stuff and just focused on the silly sci-fi thing and maybe that was all who knows i can't say it was a hundred percent it's it's disinformation for sure but it may have just been in the mind of a you know a guy a publisher who wanted to sell some books yeah well it is uh 
to me, I think it's uh, a little bit beyond coincidence, though, that a lot of the things that they talk about when it comes to the mind control research that they were doing allegedly, you know, on these kidnapped, uh, uh, you know, homeless, you know, uh, runaway children, uh, they were using the uh, uh, basically brutality in order to uh, uh, split their personalities, and yes. we, we know from uh, MK Ultra. Uh, experiments and procedures that they were working on the exact same thing, and uh, you know I just uh, uh, the, the research the research that I have uh, done on this you know a lot of the stories that uh, that came out involving this this type of uh, a brutal um, personality disassociation. Uh, was being talked about uh, really before the MK Ultra uh, material was uh, was as commonly known as it is now. So I mean, I think that uh, that there could be a, a, a very interesting um, correlation, you know, between the two. Well, very much so. Well, if you, again, like what we had to ride on were literally sitting in front of these men and observing them while they told the story. So my observation, even though I'm not an expert, is that when Preston had certain points of these stories that he's been telling for years, but when confronted with the murder and brutality of the boys, he became very uncomfortable but still told the story. Now, he could have turned around and said, well, there wasn't much of that and I seriously wasn't involved and I knew nothing about it. No, he admits that he was part of it, but almost reluctantly, and it seems like a genuine, in my opinion, a genuine reaction to something that he's trying to hide uh, and doesn't want to face because this was a loner, a guy who was obsessed with science fiction and also technology. And let's say he was part of this thing and, and, and he became involved and he starts seeing, you know, advanced technologies that he gets to work with and who knows if they they were really, you know, maybe playing with his mind and, and maybe there were aliens down there. And, and so right. now he's living a science fiction film and why would he want to get away from that? This is his dream. So maybe he's just turning a blind eye to the fact and saying, well, it's for the good of the universe. These kids are being killed. It's for science and, I, and I'm a scientist, you know. So I, I've gone through every possibility over the last nine years uh, and being, right. like I said, very open and very fair. Uh, to to every person that said they were part of it. Yeah, it just sounds to me like another cop out again. It's, it's the whole the whole uh, just doing what I'm told spiel. Yeah, I I, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, it's he said he would go back again and do it any time. So that's not you know yeah. doing what I'm told. <laughs> well, well, when it comes to uh, the uh, the the tech technical aspects of the uh, production of your your documentary I'm always interested in uh, in, in these kind of things uh, what kind of uh, what kind of camera did you use oh well the wonderful thing that happened is on the first version I was using some when it first came out and, and I think it was oh three or something it was called a, and I didn't use this for the version that you saw but the DVX 100 was a revolutionary camera because it was a video camera that shot 24 frames per second but still had a fixed lens and a cropped sensor right. so we moved forward a few years when I started the second version in early 2013 Canon came out with a camera called the 5D Mark III which was an upgrade from the Mark II super 35 millimeter sensor and now using lenses that I was trained to use and, and, and understand and, and 
movement that we can achieve without having these big cumbersome dolly rigs. Now we have uh, four-foot sliders and things like that. So there's wonderful uh, technology that's available to filmmakers, especially if you know how to use it, you know, and you know what a lens can do. You know, I was shooting in some very small rooms, so I was using 17-millimeter right. lenses. It changes the perspective. It looks, the, it makes the, the room look much bigger than it really is. And right. uh, you know how to frame things out. You know how to create the illusion. You can really use these tools to the best of your advantage as a, as a movie maker. You, yeah, you created a neat, uh, a really dark mood from what I saw in some YouTube uh, excerpts oh, that you have. Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. Now, has it been released yet? Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And I'm, I, I'm sorry that I didn't know that you guys didn't see it, and um, I would have sent you a Blu-ray. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see it. Okay, um, yeah, sure. just uh, let me know where to send it, and I'll send it over, or I can send you a link uh, tonight. Yeah, that'd be cool. We can talk about it after, after we finish uh, recording. Oh, I appreciate after it. The show, after the show. Yeah. So now, what were the first steps that you took in uh, um, in, in post-production uh, for this movie? I mean, how did you go about uh, uh, doing the research and uh, uh, approaching the people that you interviewed? Because, I mean, you also went to Montauk itself and uh, uh, talked to people who, who you know lived there when all this was going on. I did. I shot over from 06 uh, to the end of the production, which ended in 2014, there were two movies, two separate movies I made, only retaining Alfred Bielek's interviews on the carryover into the second movie. Um, I shot over 300 hours of footage. And I felt that when I started editing the second film and putting it together, that I wanted to focus on these men, the, the, the three men, telling their story and focus only on their story and their recollections of the so-called Montauk experiments. And that's right. what I focused on. And I didn't have, I interviewed other people and they are in the film. But the locals, you know, I had to cut out some scenes because it was already two hours long. And I, I mean, I can't make a four hour movie uh, and just put it out there as a movie. It just wouldn't be a movie anymore. Right. So I had to make a decision and I felt the best decision would be exactly what I made. And I've released some deleted scenes where I've interviewed other people. They were saying that they saw things. They saw UFOs. They saw, you know, there was one shark fisherman. He was coming back from a trip, and he claimed that he saw a submersible a vehicle, you know, alien craft or highly advanced technology coming out of the water, hovering above his boat, exploding into this rapid procession of colors and then taking off into the sky. Um you know, it was a great story, but again, I, I for the build-up, you need at least a few minutes to build it up. You need to segue in from another part of the film, and it just makes it very difficult to keep fitting in all those things when I really have so much time to focus on the, the subjects, the three men telling their Montauk story. Right. So, uh, what uh, what reactions did you get from uh, uh, people in Montauk when you when you went and you know uh, asked them questions about this? Because I could imagine that, due to all the publicity, that 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 most of the people that you talked to would deny that anything was going on, even though they may have had actual experiences themselves. Uh, they're going to deny it because of the risk of you know make, being made fun of, looking stupid, what have you. <laughs> well, there were a variety of uh, 
you know, ideas and stories coming from locals, one of which the head of Chamber of Commerce at the time said that when he was a kid, he saw a UFO hover above Camp Hero. That was, those were his words. He said that in a Huffington Post article uh, that came out after the first trailer I put out. And then um, another, I spent a number of hours and days and weeks in the Montauk Library, and I spoke to one of the main archivists over there, and she didn't want to be on camera. You can't force somebody to do an interview. But she uh, told me a lot of stories, but she at first denied that anything happened and said, no, it was just an Air Force base. They're making it all up. Hmm. And then she said, well, there was this one time. And I said, okay, what what happened? She said that um, everybody in town was complaining of headaches and, uh, you know, really severe to the point where everyone was talking about it. And yeah. it was just a weird feeling that everywhere, she said, and that some of the animals were going nuts and our electronics were going nuts. And, hey, you know, what? What? I can't say what it was, but I can tell you what she said. But remember, she wouldn't say this on camera, so I couldn't record right. it. I can only tell you what she said. And, you know, honest from my mouth to you, uh, this this is what she said. Well, that sounds just like the stuff that uh, that they talk about in the book. That uh, you know, when they were firing up these, uh, uh, you know, like the what was it, the chair or the mind control devices or whatever, you that there was like wild animals, you know, like uh, uh, rampaging through town. Uh, right. No, not to that extent. Like maybe somebody's cat was freaking out. You right. Know? Right. I don't think <laughs> yeah. they were, yeah, animals were rampaging. You know, they. I, I. Yeah. They. Again, that was. I think it was embellished quite a bit for the book for that first book. If you if you check out later books like even Stuart Swerdlow's later books, they're much more palatable. Uh, you know, I think that series of books that came out through that particular publisher, you know, some of them are really silly. Yeah. So did did you ever get any indication that there really was any connection at all to to UFOs or uh, non-human visitors or anything like that? Well, I yeah, because the thing is. There's so many other people that claim they saw things in that area, like right. that one shark fisherman. I believe the guy. I mean, I met with right. him in private. He, he's a good guy. He's a professional. He has another guy who wanted to be concealed, so he had no, he got nothing out of this, you know. And right. uh, just wanted to tell me. He thought it was important. And then the head of Chamber of Commerce saying that he saw a craft hovering above Camp Hero leads me to believe that there's got to be some truth in this, you know. Um, yeah. It's not that I'm avoiding the extraterrestrial stuff. It's that... I feel like if we focused on the things that we could prove and have proven before, like MK Ultra, because I feel like disclosure has already happened in regard to the UFO thing. I mean, you have some of the most reputable people in history telling you that they saw it. It should be enough for you to, to believe it, you know. Right. Well, we know something's going on. We just don't know what the source and the origin really is. And and so, you know, the fact that people are seeing these UFOs around this base or in the town or near the base to me that's no more than people seeing them outside of Duluth or or you know uh, Little Rock Arkansas okay people go, people see them everywhere so they do yeah so my my thought is what is there legitimate connection between the activity at the base and the people there and entities who pilot UFOs come if whether they come from you know other dimensions, outer space, or inside the Earth doesn't matter. Uh, is there a connection between between the two things? 
I would I say there is, I would say there is because it's so close to Camp Hero. I mean, his boat right. was just off the coast of where Camp Hero is. Now, under yeah. under there, we there really are or were uh, submarine stations. You mm-hmm. know, because it's an Air Force base. It was all for defense. They had the sixteen inch guns. There were subs around that area. Um, so I don't know. Maybe this craft was. In there somehow came out and left. I don't. I, I still don't know why they ever reveal themselves to people, but maybe they can't help it. Um, and uh, you know, other people said, and they have no reason to make it up, that they saw craft around, particularly around that area, just around that area, literally like hovering above the area. So I, I guess there's a connection. You know, so many people saying that they saw things over there. Um, you know, I can't. I I never put this movie forward, and I literally say it in the film that I'm not here to sit here and try and prove it to you. I'm trying to show you that I found something interesting. These guys are telling this story. I'm here to yeah. record it. No one else is really doing it. I mean, like I put it in the context of a movie. No one else has done that, and um, yeah. presented the story for you for you to see and make a judgment call or further investigate these guys. Right, and, and that's the thing that I appreciate um, about this movie is that I mean, you, you you talk to these guys, but you're you are not saying that yes, this definitely happened. You know, these guys are saying it, so it must be true. I mean, you you know, you're you're letting them tell their story, and, and like you said, you know, you let the audience decide for themselves. I mean, and we we see so many of these documentaries, you know, all over the place where it's you know they're. Their their effort is to try to prove that all of the stuff that they're talking about is true, and but you you know we don't know that you don't know that you know only the people that you are talking to um, know whether or not they are just piling it on or if something actually happened, and I and I really appreciate that that you put that point across. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, but there are so many people, especially now. It's 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 chaotic. To the to to a very high degree right now in terms of people going around and just repeating something that some guy says that he did or saw as if it's truth and I think we forgot how important I mean there's people actually just scoff at any kind of science and I'm saying you know my my thing is hold on a second how how could you scoff at the idea of having an artifact in your hand or uh, having a document in your hand I mean this is what's separates us from being completely crazy and just believing anything anybody says. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. There's a guy on uh, on the Internet right now saying that the configuration of the Earth is literally concave. There's a sky of glass. And he's sitting there drawing this on a piece of paper, and it's like, <laughs> you know, but we have so much evidence otherwise. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, you have... A huge percentage of the world's population that believes that. I mean, the, the Quran says that the earth is flat and that it, it, to say otherwise is blasphemous. Well, so, I'm a blasphemer no. because I, I have, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents to prove otherwise. And I also know how difficult it is just to make a little movie scene, let alone NASA, first of all, and that's not the only space program in the world, faking everything 24 hours a day, seven days a well, week. Well, it's just absurd. Yeah, it's just, it's... Well, look, I mean, I for one could say, you know, along with millions of other people that I've been high enough in an airplane to see the curvature of the earth. I yeah. can see it curves. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, and we have, again, yeah. we, there are independent 
people who have sent satellites up all around the world. So, you know, for someone to believe yeah. that, you're just not paying attention. And I, I think it's just, it's insane, you know, to... I, I believe, oh, trust me, I believe there's a world stage, and I believe there's a lot of influence out there, and there's a, there's a lot of things being covered up, and they definitely want us to think a certain way through advertising and through the news and for whatever agenda. But we're not... You know, in the Truman Show here, you know, I, it would have to be an alien presence. It would have to be an extraterrestrial presence that has that much technology and that much power to put on that hoax for us. It's not being done by humans. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, it is time for us to uh, take our uh, next break here. So what do we do? go ahead and do that, and we will continue our conversation about uh, the documentary The Montauk Chronicles with our guest Christopher uh, Garantino. Uh, Garant- Garantano. Thank you, thank you. I just a wonderful Irish name. Oh uh, well, you know, I I know I know how to pronounce these names, but then I get I get a mind fart just That's right okay. as it's coming out of my mouth. I, I do the, I do the same thing with my own name, you know, a lot of times, Christopher. So. <laughs> uh, so when we okay. come back, we'll continue our conversation here. You are listening. Yep. To the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network with Tim Swartz and Mike Mott. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Sealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success, as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code or Nostradamus' prophecies, this secret code was revealed to Reverend Orabello during an encounter with divine supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orabello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com or get your copy, a free Bizarre Bazaar subscription, as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 
954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. We're rewarding you for something you already do. Listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen. Points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty. It's free to sign up, so click the banner to join now. Free stuff for you just for listening to this station. Yeah, we got your attention. Here's how it works. You click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up and you can trade them in for cool stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new players app store. Pretty simple. Free stuff just for doing what you already do. Radio loyalty. Click the banner to join now. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz, and tonight we are talking about the Montauk Chronicles. And uh, Christopher, I wanted to ask you: uh, out of the people that that you have talked with, has any of them given you any kind of of evidence on the reality of 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 what they've been talking about, you know, something that you can take to the bank, or has anybody approached you after the fact and said, uh, hey, you know, uh, um, I may have some uh, information that uh, um, uh, could confirm uh, what they've been talking about? Okay, uh, to answer the first part of the question, no. There is no hard evidence uh, from the gentlemen. There are uh, stories and they say that these things happen for sure. Uh, and in Preston's case, there is pieces of technology, but I personally have not seen the results, so I wouldn't call that evidence as of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and in regard to the second part, yes, I was on Coast to Coast AM in February, and I was contacted by a person who wants not to be known because they have a, a, a pension and worked for a major chemical company during the time of the alleged Montauk project and claims to have some really legitimate uh, evidence of documents 
that they oversaw that were being sent to Brookhaven Labs and Camp Hero at a time where this stuff was supposedly happening. So the, this person uh, oversaw documents that had names that coincided with names that Preston Nichols uh, has been saying, that, you know, of people that he worked with at Brookhaven Labs. Oh, really? And at, at Camp Hero, yes. And that there was an experimental alloy that was being sent from Brookhaven Labs to Camp Hero and from this chemical company to both places. Uh, and it coincides with a lot of what these men were saying, that something was going on, something covert, that the CIA was involved. And, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing a lot of the things that I've been told in the emails, but it does check out this person did work for this this company for sure. Uh, I don't see any reason why this person would just contact me and tell me this very specific information. This person is not saying, you know, I saw aliens and I saw monsters. It's it's saying, I saw a paper trail and the names check out and the dates check out and the locations check out. And I think if I could somehow get more information and somehow uh, possibly get my hands on something or at least get so much spe- specific information that it doesn't seem like it was fabricated. That might be something to go on. But until someone comes out with something, and what I think as a secondary measure, if people believe that they were part of this program as victims, they should do what the victims of MK Ultra did in 95 or the Tuskegee uh, experiments and approach Congress And, yeah, you might say, oh, they're not going to do anything. But in that case, even though they didn't fully admit to it, they did something. People were compensated. The president came and kind of admitted to it to, you know, stifle out any flames. You know, and and if if something like that happens in regard to Camp Hero, let's say a public official gets up and says, there was something going on there. It's horrible. We had nothing to do with it. We couldn't control it. It was a rogue group of the government, just like Clinton said. Mm -hmm. That means something did happen. And so if all the people that are on the Internet right now uh, saying that they were victims of this thing, well, if you really are a victim and you're on the Internet and on Facebook telling people, then I guess you won't have a problem getting together and seriously approaching Congress about this. Uh, because it's a, if I was kidnapped and beaten half to death and my mind was messed with, I would certainly want to do something about it a little more than just going on the internet telling all my Facebook friends, so I think I would want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there is, a, you know, some measures can be taken. At the very least, if, if, if Congress says something, like even remotely uh, like what these people claimed happened, that means it did happen, and that's proof. Well, now, uh, didn't somebody, and, and I'm thinking uh, the, the guy that approached you uh, through Facebook, uh, uh, and, and I, may, I may have the, the wrong person here, but didn't, some, didn't somebody approach you and say that they, they knew the location of uh, where there was some very disturbing evidence that, uh, that could be uncovered? He did, yep. Nothing has been found just yet, and uh, for the, I've already started shooting scenes for the follow-up. I'm calling it Ghosts of Montauk. We will bring uh, a cadaver dog there, and we will bring more equipment there to try and explore and see if there's any possibility that bodies were interred in the area that this 
gentleman says they are. Because um, we're talking about you know the numbers that came out of the mouths of Stuart Swerdlow, uh, Preston Nichols, and Alfred Bielek are in the high thousands. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, so either they had a massive crematorium down there, or there's there could be some evidence of burial. Uh, and they have there are things in the past that happened that there were bodies found like that Dozier School in Florida. Uh, there are people that believe, including James Bruce, that that was another offshoot of the program. Alfred Bielek said that this program was happening not only in Montauk but all around the United States and possibly around the world. So mm. how does one investigate? You know, well, I started an honest to God investigation and it's in this picture uh by going to locations, talking to witnesses, going to the archives in the library, that's an investigation. The next I guess would be an analysis, scientific analysis of soil, uh of ground of looking around topside, even though I explored the, the, the surface of the base uh, thoroughly, you know, just with my eyes observing. And what I did observe were, though there were a lot of entrances here and there in the in the woods or certain structures that were uh, very securely uh, shut, like the bunkers and like that structure at the very end of the movie that I show where James Bruce took me to that said he there, there was in a room in there where there were experiments being conducted. Uh, that particular structure is welded shut and cemented shut. But other structures aren't, including the tower. You can get, obviously, I got in the tower. You can get in the tower, and you can get in other structures easily. But those particular structures are very secure. And I'm just, that, that sparks my curiosity a bit why particularly those structures why are they so secure hmm. and uh, uh, how how did this uh, how did this person know uh, or what was his claims that you know how did he have knowledge that there were possible you know burial sites uh, uh, there in the park well he recalls James Bruce recalls during the experiments that he saw children being dragged out into these areas, one of which is now a dry marsh area. He said there was water at the time, going back, you know, thirty something years. Sure. Or thirty years. So he said that there were it was a water area and that they were dragging bodies into that area. I know the exact area, so I would try it's it, last time I checked it was a dry marsh. Yeah, unfortunately you just can't go and and start digging in a state park like that. <laughs> no, you cannot. That's the other thing. Everybody's like, "Well, why don't you get you know a backhoe and start digging over there?" Yeah, okay. How far is it? How far are you going to get before somebody stops you, especially if there are bodies there? Right. You know. Um, so, and again, I, I'm cautious about how deep I get into stuff like this because I do take it seriously. And if there is a possibility that there was mass murder out there, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, there's somebody that doesn't want everyone to know, I'm sure, you know. Uh, Which, and if they killed hundreds of thousands of kids, I don't think they're going to have a problem taking me out in the right. process either. So. Yeah. So, so what are the numbers that you're thinking? I mean, what, truthfully, what do you see as the number of children that were victimized by this? Or at least I were claimed say. to be the victims. You know? Oh, no, well, there's very few that claim, but, uh, you know, I can't say. I'm, I can tell you what the gentleman in my film said. And do I believe those numbers? I don't know. I think a lot of us are not aware of 
true numbers of things that are going oh, on. I think it yeah. would shock you if someone told you how many people were murdered today in this country. Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I, she, back in 2000, and then it came out in book form in 2000, January 2001. I mean, I wrote then about the, the inexplicable number of people that disappear every year that are not found. So, even now, people are still, like, acting like they're all surprised and, oh my God, it's, it's coming out now, but, it's been out there. It's just a matter of who wants to look at it and who's got the guts to say something about it. So what, what, what did the guy in the film say? Well, you know, he said that, um, you know, in regard to the numbers, I heard everything from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of children over the 13-year period being murdered that didn't make it through the program. And then other, very few actually made it through to the end. And Stuart Swerdlow was... Claims to have been one of them. So, is it that the the program is so intensive that it that it kills them? Is that the idea? Well, the uh, what what Preston Nichols and Alfred Bielek and Stuart Swerdlow say is, let's say they grabbed a um, a runaway child, kidnapped them into the program. The idea is to fracture the mind completely, so they would inject them with large amounts of hallucinogens and physically, you know, beat them to the point where the mind is completely, the personality structure is completely fractured. So wherein now they're going to rebuild the child's mind and implant triggering mechanisms, mind control for other purposes, uh, unleashing psychic abilities, all of these things were said to have happened during this program. Yeah, and they would be used for you know government assassins later. They could be triggered. But a lot of these, I mean, look, we have a new shooting in this uh, country every day, um, yeah. Yeah. and no one's really questioning the possibility of you know like uh, we're not we're not offering that possibility that these guys. So, some some of us have been. <laughs> yeah, some of some us have. Been. Yeah, some uh, yeah. There's definitely something shady going on. Oh, um, for sure, there, it's there, too much. A, there's an agenda behind it too, and I think the agenda is to disarm the population. I think that's what it's all really about. Um, you know, the whole thing about this though is if this program exists, if it can be proven that it exists, we're talking about a program that this is something that we shouldn't should shake the nation to its core. There should be not just congressional hearings. There should be pitchforks and mobs with torches and I'm with you. I'm with hey, you, and that's that's what I'm saying. There's enough of if you. I say to the people that are following this story, and you're running around telling everybody how many kids you're certain that those children were murdered and kidnapped. What are you doing about it? You're just in, hanging out and smoking a joint and enjoying the stories, or you're you're just going to sit around and wait till somebody gets you? I mean, like that. That's I question a lot of people because it's like you're so adamant about telling everybody that this stuff is happening well what are you doing about it just like you said it's not just asking for a hearing but it's uh you know getting up and taking action unfortunately we don't have an independent army uh and and you know we're we're outnumbered so something else has to be done about it and i think well if you take action you're a terrorist (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Well, I always use that analogy to the movie uh, They Live. If you right. think of Roddy Piper's character in mm-hmm. They Live, if you step outside of it, as an audience member, we see what he's going through. But if right. you're one of the other human beings in the film, he's a terrorist running around shooting people in a grocery store. Right. You know, right. He's, a, he's a psycho. 
So it's like it's so weird that there are so many, and and some of these guys of recent have said that you know one guy I he had a stockpile of weapons and said that uh, he was a reptilian alien and he was going to do all these things. I mean that's so weird that now yeah, that was very strange. Yeah, uh, that guy was very weird. You talking about the guy in L.A. Um, yeah, where did what was his background? You know, could it be that he was involved in a program like this from an early age? Of you course, know? it could be. Of course, it could know. be. His yeah. dad. His dad was a uh, a biochemist. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and where did this guy? I mean, uh, even though his dad was, I guess, a uh, a renowned biochemist, he was by no means rich. Yet this guy had enough money to have. I mean, uh, gosh. I mean, it was uh, how many weapons did he have? Oh yeah, he had a, he had a, a a genuine arsenal. I mean, he yeah. was. He had, he, yeah, he had enough for an army. He had, wow. he had modified vehicles. Yes, uh, in these storage lockers that, uh, like, amphibious vehicles. Yeah, he had a car that could drive underwater. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And this, yeah. and supposedly so who, who this guy was, all this? Yeah, supposedly yeah. this guy was uh, broke. <laughs> no, well, certainly not broke. <laughs> <laughs> so who funded? Who funded this guy? Right. And somebody had to convince him, and I'm not buying for a minute that he was a reptilian alien hybrid like you said he was, but somebody may have convinced him that he was, that, and that he was yeah, and that he was here to save the earth because they had put him in a situation where he had all the weaponry and, and uh, materiel support that he needed. So if they unleashed him on somebody, they could say, well, that guy right there is the leader of the, you know, the Zeta Reticulans. You need to go take him out. And, you know, this guy probably would have done it. He could, you know, he might have taken out a whole school of people. Who knows? You know, who knows? Well, that's that's the thing. And so, and this is the 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 reason why my mind is so chaotic regarding this long haul making this movie and looking into the Montauk project is every time I feel like something is absurd, then something like that happens, and I'm like, well. Wait a second. You know, and you check in a little further into some of the most outrageous things that Al or Preston or even Stewart are saying. And if you dig and you dig and you dig, you'll start to find things that are like, wait a second, is this true? You know, and, and it's coming from other places in the world and some of the ancient research. And so I don't know. This stuff scares me because it's like at one point it, it just seems so absurd it couldn't happen. But again, the further you research, the further you start putting things together. Yeah. The absurd starts to become very possible, and that's really has been my experience with this whole thing. And whatever happened to the guy with the story about the guy in L.A.? I mean, we haven't really heard anything else about it in a long time now. I mean, it was a big story for two weeks. You know, uh, as I talked about leading into the show, you know, um, it's all about the sound bites. You know, uh, you know, people are all, all fascinated by it for thirty minutes at a time, and then. It's gone, you know. I know. Well, we've had 15 shootings since then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, whole, that whole thing, to me, the whole shooting thing does uh, smack of, of MK Ultra or, or similar programs. And the only end point of that could be to disarm the people because that is, you know, the thing that keeps, keeps people free. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just like the Emperor of, of uh, was it Emperor of the Admiral? Was Admiral of Japan said, you know, that we could never invade America because there would be a, a gun behind every blade of grass. Well, everybody knows that. And so the only way they can get us to give up our Second Amendment rights is if we do so willingly 
So how do you do that? You create one crisis after another involving guns. That's how you do it. Yeah, but it's going to backfire on them because a lot of us, like right now, are realizing it is just too bizarre for it to just be some kind of coincidence. It's induced yeah. for sure. Then Absolutely. you have this commercial that comes on TV the other day with all these celebrities trying to put up a plan. I mean, obviously, it's it's orchestrated, and that's what I mean. I truly believe that there's a world stage. I just don't believe that they're faking it and telling us the world is spherical when it's flat or whatever else. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is It is ridiculous. Yeah. What, what bothers me is, is something that's really been bugging me a lot lately is the lack of critical reasoning ability among, you know, in, in the population at large. It's, it's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think these ideas, again, we talk about disinformation or misinformation, these ideas of the, the, the Earth being different shapes or being flat again, I think are put out there to just make everybody nuts and keep us away from what's what you and I have been discussing or what we have been discussing today is that there there is an agenda here. And the, the main agenda, there's always money behind it somehow, or control, or yep. gold. And uh, the agenda is, yeah, take away our guns. But what's the ultimate agenda? Once the guns are taken away and we become these, you know, people who say, well, we shouldn't have guns because we'll be more peaceful. I don't think so. I think responsible people can own a gun as they have been for years and years and years. I know plenty of people that are hunters, plenty of people that own guns, have not killed anybody in their family, are not violent people. It's, it's, I think it's okay. And I think... Uh, you know, there should be tighter screening psychologically, but then again, maybe we should pay attention to the fact that there is an agenda. You know, take that into consideration. So I think more people need to offer that up when the gun discussion comes saying, yeah, but okay, I know plenty of responsible people with guns. They've never killed anybody, never going to, unless, you know, they're defending themselves. And uh, so if you don't want a gun, that's fine, but why should everyone else have that? Uh, way of self-protection taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've I know that that Al Bielik years ago was talking about just such a scenario that uh, that he was saying that uh, that that part of the the Montauk project was to create people who could uh, Manchurian candidates basically. Oh I, yeah. I don't know if he used that term at the time, it, you know, it wasn't that popular, but he he was saying that there was going to be people who were under mind control that I mean they had no idea what was going on. They would be given some kind of trigger, you know, like a uh, like a keyword and then they would go out and run amok and uh, you know kill a lot of people whatever for some kind of you know undetermined at that point political agenda and and this was i mean he was talking about this long before we started seeing the mass shootings you know that uh, uh, taking place so it just makes me yes, wonder yes he was yeah it just makes me wonder you know because you know uh, 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 in, in a lot of his interviews, and, and I know that you know when you interviewed him, I mean you know he was fairly old, looked kind of disheveled, and uh, there, you know there were times when he would be uh, talking about this kind of stuff, and he would just kind of ramble on, much like I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> we all ramble on. That's right. But then he would say things like that that were really pertinent, that just kind of makes you then after the fact set up and say you know. 
you know, amongst all that that he was talking about, I think that there is, there was a grain of truth in what he was saying. Sure, sure. I, I I've never ruled out the possibility of total truth in everything they were saying, or at least uh, a good deal of it may have been true. Because again, strikingly, Al would mention uh, technology to me when I sat with him in '06 that wasn't apparent to the public until a few years later. And I said, Bielik was talking about this years ago. He was he ceased, you know he talked about these things, and now they're being developed, you know. So, but again. It's it's really a, it's a strange thing to observe because you have to be well aware of history. We were just talking Manchurian candidate assassins. That idea has been out there for a very long time, and and of course the Frankenheimer film came out in the fifties. So you know the the Manchurian candidate with those ideas in place. What year did Sirhan Sirhan kill? Uh, was Robert Kennedy? Sixty eight. 68. So, Manchurian yeah. Candidate, the film, I think, came out in either the early 60s or the late 50s. Uh, but interesting ideas in place, you know, because they also say that ideas are put into major motion pictures and television to also distract us, too, which I, I, I believe, you know. I mean, you know, getting into the world of, you know, looking into advertising and seeing how it works and seeing how the news works and, you know, and, and, and I actually... Uh, was hired to shoot a pilot for a show for History Channel not too long ago, and uh, I saw the inner workings of how everybody was manipulating everything, and yeah. I, I would believe it. I believe they get notes, because I even brought up to the producers of the show, are you going to do an episode on 9-11? They said, no, nope, no, nope, can't touch it, not allowed to. And it's like, oh, okay. But you could do the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. So, interesting. That interesting is interesting. Huh. Yes. It makes you wonder why that subject was foreboding, you know, is that just uh, too soon or, or what? <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have to wonder, there's so many people on the world stage today that have questionable backgrounds, you know, that you get mixed signals on who they are and where they're from and what they're really all about. And uh, most people never question because if they do, they'll be ridiculed, they'll be called names, things of that nature, so... Yeah, I, and I agree with you, but also I think as we're sitting here discussing this and we're not, you know, you're not constantly saying, tell me more about the reptiles. I mean, hey, it very much w- could exist, in, 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 you know, after doing a lot of research. Who knows? But I think if we focused on the disinformation, on the crimes, on the the mind control, everything else will come with it, you know? Because I think that all the other stuff is meant Regardless if it's true or not, they want you to focus on the sci-fi because whatever agenda is going on, and there certainly is one, there's just too strange. There's too many people shooting people right now. It's just too much. So there's obviously, it's induced. You, you're seeing how the people, you know, the politicians are reacting, the news is reacting. You're right. Well, it, there's an well, agenda. Really, definitely it, there is, but it, it's not just that. It's that the media engagement is such that years ago, mass shootings were taking place. But you would hear about it five days later in a newspaper. And right. see crazy gunman shows up, blah blah blah. You know, and you say, Oh that's terrible. Well that happened over you know in three states over and that doesn't affect doesn't affect me. Now while while the shooting is still going on, millions of people instantaneously see it. So you can create a climate of crisis and you know imminent danger to the whole world with every event that happens. But if you go and you look at the, the the statistics 
behind for us to smash you, did you'll find that they aren't really there aren't really any more of them than there ever have been. It's sure, true. Yeah. yeah, the news is telling you what to think and how to think, and they're trying to break your heart. I stopped watching any kind of broadcast news almost two years ago. I've not watched it. And I try to sign into my email sometimes, and, of course, it's right in my face again. A young oh. child is murdered. This is this. And it's just like, hey, I understand how bad this world can be. But when you're hammering nothing but in my face, you know, it, it makes you forget how good things can be, too. Right. You know? Right. Well, it's it's the same thing uh, with the, the whole idea of uh, uh, stranger danger and that you can't let your kids go and play out in the front yard because there are perverts waiting around every corner uh, waiting for the chance to, to, to run away with them. Uh, you know, I mean, sure. that, that has been just so overblown over the last 10 years. Yep. Um, you know, when, when kids are actually, you know, sad to say, they're in more danger of uh, being hurt or sexually molested by a friend of the family or a family member. Rather right, than so, stranger. It's, yeah. so it's either a child getting murdered, a new shooting, or what Miley Cyrus was wearing, you know, on <laughs> eyeshadow, what color eyeshadow this week. Uh, so they're making you dumb and scared, and I think well, the best way to do it is go pick up a book and read it. Yes. Read older, out-of-print books, read history books. You know, enlighten your mind. Go for a walk in the woods. Don't sit in front of the the news and let them take control of your mind because that's the mind control right there. Well, sure. And it's like I always say, you know, people don't they don't want to hear about these things. They they get upset. You know, it, it upsets their their uh, it gives them cognitive dissonance because they would really rather be watching uh, what I like to call hungry hungry housewives or <laughs> dancing with the morons than they would, um, you know paying attention to what's really going on it's true it's true but you know you have a choice you know the thing is it's your choice i made a choice to tune out the tube and in that sense i like some shows here and there you know but i don't watch the news i don't watch broadcast news i don't care i don't care if i want to know what's going on in the world i'll look at independent news sources or i'll take a look at a few different things on the internet and just take a glance and see what's going on and i'll make the choice whether or not i want to ingest what they're giving me you know because it's either like a terrorist is chopping off another guy's head or it's just like mm. wow it's like we're living in the seventh circle of hell right now you know? <laughs> yeah yep well you know it's like i was talking to somebody the other day who you know as a christian i was gonna you know i, I was willing to talk to this guy this country guy you know and and he was uh actually helped me work on some chainsaws and he was talking about how you know this is the tribulations coming and this and that and mm. he was talking to his preacher about the tribulation and they're going to be chopping off christians heads and i was like well you know i said the people in uh iraq and syria they must be going through the tribulation then yeah it's happening it's, that's the thing because it's, it's happening right now all over yeah. the world Christians are having their heads chopped off by Muslims. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, well, Muslims are having their heads chopped off by Muslims, yeah, too. That, so, that's you know. true. But I'm thinking, is there people being targeted? Just like we, could, we, well, we could do a whole show on that that's, yeah. that idea and how to get yeah. rid of it, you know. But, but yeah, well, yeah, we should sometime. But, but there, there's a whole uh, thing about, uh, um, you know, this this whole idea with, with the guy out in, in you know, you got a, you got a guy, a president that comes out and, and makes this instantaneous, doesn't even wait for the bodies to be identified or the people to be uh, identified the victims. Starts talking about gun control and in comparison, says more people have been hurt by terror by gun gun violence than terrorism. Do the stats. I challenge you. Blah blah. You know what an idiot. Uh, basically, this was a terrorist act. 
the guy was a terrorist. If you go into a, a, uh, any place and you say, raise your hand or tell me what your religion is, and then everybody who's a Christian gets shot, that's terrorism. Yes, that's not, it is. That's not just mass murder. Okay. Well, they, they don't want, the, see, I, I don't know for what reasons, it's hard to get into their minds, but for some reason they didn't want you to know it's a terrorist, you know, sure. they, it's, exactly. for whatever reason they have. The thing well, they, is, they want to paint the religion of peace as something that it's not, because this guy was radicalized. He had friends on his accounts, which have since disappeared, by the way, offline, but the screenshots were made. He had a friend who was a major jihadist, uh, other, you know, other things of this nature. But they want to try, oh, after he died, get this, after the guy died, his online dating profile was updated five times. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So this is what we're dealing with. They have a, a narrative that they want to push. They don't want you to know it's the religion of pieces. They want you to keep, you know, clinging to this religion of peace. And look, I lay that firmly at the feet of, of uh, George Bush Jr. as much as I do Obama. You know, I, sure. And, and going further back, you know, we created the Mujahideen. We did that. Oh okay. yeah, Rambo did yeah. it. Don't you remember yeah. in Rambo yeah. Three? He trained them. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that, right. that's, that's, that's the thing. You know, they want to paint a certain narrative, which is a lie, and um, and they cannot have their full agenda. For instance, they can't fully terrorize the po- You know, read, you know, read nineteen eighty four. They can't fully terrorize the populace into capitulation to the state in every way unless they keep you in a state of terror you know you're always at war you've always got an enemy lurking you've always got to you know because if we're all armed we're not going to be that damn worried about it right right and a lot of these guys i don't know if i could call them cowards or psychos or both wouldn't go into a a structure and start blowing people away if they knew there were several armed people in there waiting you know or ready for um, if if it should ever happen, that's right. That's exactly right. So this this is you know all these things are interrelated. All this this manipulation of of, of media and information and misinformation, disinformation, misdirection. It, it's it's sickening. It, what it really bothers me that people can't see it. You know they say, well that's a conspiracy. You're just a conspiracy theorist. I hear that junk all the time. You know here's the thing. You know, there was a study done not that long ago. Uh, there was uh, uh, there were several universities, and their intent with their study was to show that conspiracy theorists were crazy and nuts and you know whatever. And they did their study. Uh, uh, multiple sites, multiple uh, universities participated, and they found that by far and away the most sane and rational and critically. Uh, uh, aware people were the, were the conspiracy theorists. Sure, you must question everything. The other thing is this, though. I feel like there is something... What we've been discussing for the last 10 minutes is something serious, something very real, something we know is going on, whether it be partially staged or not. It's a right. terrifying thing because at the end of it, there's an agenda. So if we talk sensibly about it, like if if, if we avoid... If we spent this whole show talking about the furry Sasquatch that came out of Duncan Cameron's mind, we'd be wasting some time because there's some real stuff going on that may have been an offshoot of this project, this Montauk project thing. And this assassination stuff might be the, 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 the full circle. They may have been developing this stuff many years ago to eventually come to this point. How are we right. going to get the population controlled, scared, take away their guns, and then what's the next step after that? Exactly. And I don't, I'm not trying to be like Chicken Little, but at the same time, 
uh, there's definitely something going on. Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, it, well, you look at what just happened at the UN. I mean, you look at uh, all of a sudden Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is the head of the Human Rights Council. Okay. You've got other people there uh, pushing legislation to make it a crime, like it puts you in jail, crime, to criticize, for instance, a religion. When they say that, they mean specifically Islam, not any other religion. Okay? Right. Um, you, you, you have um, a push for, they have what was called Agenda 21. Well, they've now changed it because people were getting wise to it. They're calling it Agenda 30-something, 2036 or 2030 or something. They've got some new name for it, but it's the same stuff, but it's on steroids now. It's much worse than it was. So there's an agenda, and the agenda is to do away with with national sovereignty and create a world body of, of elites, you know, who who are the people who run things and control everybody. And that's what a Common Core is all about. Common Core, as I've said all along and haven't been in education to, you know, Common Core is designed to create a dumbed down, let's say equalized workforce who won't ask questions as long as they have just enough money to have their smartphone and their and their internet and some other toys, they'll be glad to go to work every day to the day they die. And that is right, man. You're right. But it is it's again, going we can't. We got. There's some kind of organized action needs to take place to to defend yourself against this inevitable thing that is coming. Because trust me, they're winning right now. And if something can be done, it's got to be done in a sensible way. There are two ways it can be done. Everybody in unison realizing what you're saying is true. And just shutting the show down, not buying any more of their products, don't watch the news anymore, protest right in front of the damn White House, do everything you have to do to show that we realize what's going on in a, in a peaceful do. way. Chris, they'll, they'll just say that, that, that you're all a bunch of nuts. You're Man, all a bunch so, of if we all do it, if we all do it, there's no longer a bunch of nuts. I know what you're saying. They're going to keep yeah, saying that until yeah, nice. the numbers grow and grow. You know? Well, here's, here's the problem you have. This is the same thing that, that I have run into, no telling how many times, I'm sure you have, I know that Tim has, where, okay, I had a guy send me something the other day, he said, can I talk to you about some personal experiences I've had? I said, sure. So a week goes by, then he, he sends me something on Facebook and, and messages, tells me about, you know, I don't want anybody to know this, I'm so scared that somebody will find out, this will make me look bad, this will embarrass my family. And then he tells me this extraordinarily run-of-the-mill version of a UFO sighting, which sounds like a military aircraft. And this is what you find. You find that people are so worried about being labeled a conspiracy theorist, a UFO nut, crazy, you know, whatever it is, stupid, delusional, on and on and on, that they will keep their mouth shut. They will not rock the boat. And that's what's wrong is the apathy. Yes. Yes, that's what's wrong. Right, and so we have to be like, you know, the people who used to rise up against the problem when the government is causing an issue together and do something about it. I can't say exactly what, and I won't at the moment, but you you have to understand there's only one way to deal with it. And I understand exactly what you're saying, but we're not going to talk about it here. Yeah, right. I know. I I know. And I, I, but, but there are ways that it's been done in the past, and there, there, but there are peaceful ways. I think at least you could get the word out where people can get together and just clear your mind of all the the garbage, all the disinformation, and try and understand that there really is something going on. 
And you could start by hitting them in the pocket. Try not to buy those. Try more independent products. Buy independent motion pictures. You know, if the good ones, there's some good ones. Uh, try to purchase uh, or watch independent news sources. Uh, you know, and, and, and if you stop spending your money on certain things, I think that could really affect them too. Yeah. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to uh, interrupt at this point because we only have a few minutes left in the program, and I want, uh, Christopher, I want to give you a chance to uh, let our audience know where they can uh, buy your film and uh, uh, your website and uh, anything else you'd like uh, uh, people to know about yourself. Well, if you're interested in seeing this motion picture, Montauk Chronicles, you can go to montaukchronicles.com. You could check out the trailer, read about it, and order uh, the Blu-ray or the DVD. There's a wealth of extras on the Blu-ray. There's some really decent ones on the DVD just because of you know, difference in space. Or you can go to Amazon.com and check out the movie, too. You can order it there. And um, have a look at it. I'm accessible. You can email me from my website. And uh, take a look at the movie. If you have any questions, send me an email. And uh, you say you're, uh, you're going to start working on a, uh, a new project. Uh, what do you call it? The Ghosts of Montauk? Yeah, Ghosts of Montauk. I actually started shooting some new scenes for it, and this is just because it's certainly something that required more than one volume. Montauk Chronicles is a two-hour movie, and I felt, you know, I, I couldn't fit everything in it. So the second one is going to further the investigation, try and bring a scientific investigation to the Montauk Project, an independent one, and try and think... Uh, in the direction of trying to find some kind of paper trail or some kind of evidence, and that's really what we're going to be focusing on for the film. Hmm. And uh, how long do you think it's going to uh, uh, take you before you uh, get this uh, finished and, and, and out for us to see? Well, uh, Montauk Chronicles, the one you're seeing right now, I started shooting in 2013, finished it in 2014, and it was it was ready for everybody, and I basically single-handedly made it. Now we're coming into a situation where I, I would want a little more time with Ghosts of Montauk. I have another uh, project I'm working on, actually a couple more, but uh, one that I feel that is a, a unique point of view and possibly the most interesting on the American Sasquatch. I think it's a, a lot of stories that we haven't heard and uh, a perspective that I'm going to offer that uh, maybe hasn't been experienced in cinema yet regarding this uh, elusive creature. So I think it's important to... Uh, hear some of the stories I've heard recently. Oh, right. I, I'm I'm very interested in uh, uh, seeing that. You'll will yep. have to let us know when that is ready to come out, and uh, so we can have you on again to talk about that subject. I will. We're going to start shooting in November, so I'm I'm really excited. It's something I wanted to actually do before Montauk was presented to me. So I now I'm finally going back to where I started. So uh, currently, now, um, how how has uh, uh, the Montauk Chronicles been uh, been received? It's been very well received. I mean, we've uh, you know from the the people who have been purchasing it for the most part have really enjoyed it, and they've received it the way I wanted them to. And uh, you know, uh, we've been talking about it on all these wonderful shows. And um, I was contacted by Discovery Channel, by History Channel. So eventually, we're going to see a broadcast of it. That'd be and, great. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, it might be abridged or edited for television, but uh, I think I'm pretty amazed because you know, again, I'm not a, a, a studio in any you know Hollywood sense, and uh, I'm a very independent guy, and you know, an outlaw filmmaker. I don't really follow everybody else's rules, and I uh, I'm, I'm excited that it got to so many people so far. Yeah, that's cool, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll get on. We'll get a disc over to you right away. Cool. All right. Well, we need to wrap it up here, Christopher. Stay on the line uh, after we uh, get finished here, and uh, so uh, we can, we can talk for a little bit. But uh, sure. Mike, Mike, we uh, we need to wrap it up uh, for tonight. Uh, All right. Sounds good. It was a great show. Yes, uh, thank you, Christopher, for being with us, and uh, we hope you have, to have you on uh, again really soon, especially to thank talk you. about your uh, Sasquatch documentary. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. All right, so, uh, uh, Mike, uh, good night to you, and to everyone out there listening, thanks for listening to The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Be sure to tune in again this time next week for another fascinating program. So, until then, good night. <laughs>